Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Our Stump the Linux Chump episode. Probably the most excited I've ever been to do an episode. Essentially, I've been hanging out with the Destination Linux guys, and they have been a great influence on me. When I say great influence on me, what I mean is they have caused me to dig deeper into Linux than I ever have before. Um, but I... As I was kind of thinking about it, I thought, man, I don't know if I've ever worked with a bunch of people that collectively have more knowledge in various different areas of Linux. Uh, they're just really smart guys. So I, I pitched an idea to him. I said, guys, would you be able to, all of you, take some time and join me for a special edition of the Ask Noah Show, and we can answer questions. So we've got people all from all around the world. I'm going to bring them in here. We're going to go to our interactive mumble room. You too can join on mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. Uh, Michael, hey, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. And uh, Ryan's here as well. Hello, everyone. And Zeb, all the way from uh, the other side of the pond. Yep, hiya. Um, and are you sure you got the right guys? Well, uh, it was the chumps that are going to try to answer questions about Linux, but none of us really know anything about Linux. Do I have the right guys? Perfect. Perfect. Great. That's perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> We figured it out. So you guys, we have all sorts of ways that you can interact with us. Obviously, we've got our new, we've got a brand new interactive chat room. It is hashtag or pound. What is the appropriate term inside of an IRC room? Pound. Is it? Okay. It, it depends. People say hash too. That's, so that's what I'm being told. And I, I said it one way and then I got corrected and I said it the other way. Then I got corrected and now it's like I've lost There's my like 30 different names for it. I mean, also crunch is another one. Is it really? Yeah, Crunchbang is really just the hash symbol plus an exclamation yeah, point. Crunch. Maybe I'll go with that just because nobody else is using it. Yep, let's go well, Crunch. Well, anyway, crunch, Ask Noah Show. Shift 3 Ask Noah Show <laughs> in free note, and you can join our interactive... If you have U.S. and English keyboard. Oh, no. Is it different? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's man. really... It's like at the opposite corner of the keyboard for UK. Number sign? That's pretty universal. Like, there's really nothing else that could not be a number sign, right? Yeah, that works. Number Let's Ask Noah Show in Freenode. If you join us there, there's an interactive there's an interactive chat. You can ask us questions. We'll take them that way. And by the way, big announcement. Tomorrow, Wednesday night at 6 p.m., we're going to be celebrating our 100th edition of the Ask Noah Show. We're going to give away a $100 Amazon gift card, and all you have to do is exist in that chat room. So I would make sure to do that because tomorrow it could result in mega buku for you. But we'll take questions all the way around. Um... We have a couple that have been sent in by email, so we'll read those and 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 get the group's thought on that. I want to start with an email from Argentina. Uh, Augustin, I believe is how we pronounce this, writes in, says, Many greetings from Argentina. Really like the show. The question is not that difficult, but having all of you here is the best way for me to get good ideas. I study at a small university in Argentina, about 2,000 students. We donated three to four computers, old and low specs, Think Core 2 Duon and Semperon with 512 megabytes, maybe a gigabyte, sometimes two gigabytes of RAM. We also have a couple of 320 gigabyte hard disks. Since our university loves the, to use the freedom-hating software, myself and another Linux enthusiast have created a FOSS lab. And we were, and with maybe more computers and time, the question is, what do you recommend for a lightweight distro, perhaps maybe a headless server, so the students can SSH in. Love to hear your thoughts. So I guess we'll start with, uh, I don't know how to do this. I suppose maybe the maybe the way to do this would be to, st I'll just pick somebody to start with, and then we'll just kind of work around. So let's go to Ryan to start with. Oh, no. Why'd you have to start with me? I'm going with Puppy Linux is a lightweight Linux. It's one of my favorite lightweight distributions out there. Otherwise, you could use Raspbian, which is what I use on a very old machine for my son. Okay. Michael, your thoughts? If we're talking about like just server-based stuff, I would go for the the default Ubuntu because you're going to be 
you're going to be able to use a server and a desktop for a workstation as well, all combined in one distro. Okay, and how about Zeb? What would you do for a lightweight distro? Well, I would have to go with something like Antix because I believe that you can run it from the command line as well as a GUI. So you get the best of both worlds. I tell you what I would do. I think I'm going to I'm going to throw out and, and maybe Michael, you'll tell me I'm crazy. I'm tempted to go with something like Ubuntu Mate because you'll get that Ubuntu base and yet the Mate desktop is actually fairly lightweight. And yeah, so but if he's talking about like you said server based stuff though, like with a uh, headless well, he asked about headless, but he said, but if you're thinking about it, if somebody gave me three to four computers and I was trying to set up a lab, I feel like I, I feel like I wouldn't do that headless. At least, at least I would have some of the computers have a user interface because you'd want it to be a welcoming environment for those that maybe, sure. you know, haven't, haven't used Linux before, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I would, I was basically saying Ubuntu for the, like the server aspect headless part, but if, mm. if they wanted a GUI on top of it, then um, Ubuntu Mate, Lubuntu, or even Kubuntu, because Kubuntu is actually not. As, as heavy as people think it is. Okay, here's a crazy thought. Who in here would go with either a tiling window manager or even something like XFCE, which is not terribly pretty, but it is undoubtedly lightweight and stable and, and reliable? I mean, those are two of my favorites. I absolutely love i3. One of my favorite desktops to use, even on the most powerful hardware out there. So, I mean, that's a that's a good bet out there for me. I would definitely go that route. Chat room agrees with you. They're saying that that uh, tiling window managers are superior to every desktop environment ever. My question is, do, do do we think that that's maybe not approachable for a new user? I would actually absolutely say that it's not approachable for a new user. It's it's really not. You'd have to take some time, especially for a school. I'm I'm kind of curious though on your Ubuntu Mate suggestion because I'm on the Mate page and it recommends a gigabyte of RAM, and they said these machines only have 250, I think one and 500 megabytes on the other. So. Are you going to run into issues there? Maybe. I have run it on as low as one gigabyte of RAM and a Pentium 4. Um, the, actually, it's the machine. And you know what's funny? People always say they're like, oh, well, it's some computer that you, you know, use once once a day. No, 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 no. It's the machine that actually sits by the back door of our shop. So when you walk into the back of the shop, oftentimes somebody will pull in. They'll just drop, the, you know, the tools or a ladder or something like that off. And they just need to close out their work order or open a work order or, or write some documentation, whatever. They just need a computer to do that. And so we wanted a computer that was going to sit by this back door. The problem is it's very close to a to a door that's constantly opening and closing. And so it's exposed to the elements quite often. And so we didn't want to spend any real money on it. So we just put a junker and it's a, it's an old, uh, it's actually made by IBM, but it's an, it's an old IBM think center, a Pentium four think center. And uh, I'll be darned if the stupid thing doesn't run Ubuntu Mate flawlessly. And I, it, it probably, maybe it has a, gig it might have 512 and a gig somewhere in there but yeah it's perfectly usable we put an ssd in it to get some speed out of the thing but you know everything caches in ram and then you don't really notice yeah that's why i went with raspbian because i think you can run raspbian on as little as 128 megabytes of ram so that would be my my suggestion on it just because it's the most minimal and you kind of get that whole debian feel in there you can do a lot with that especially in a school and like I said, my five-year-old, that's what he has on his laptop, which is a much little older Dell with a gigabyte of RAM. Well, the Raspbian is basically just a LXDE sitting on top of a Debian system for ARM. What you could do is do the LXDE uh, Lubuntu 18.04 and just do the minimal install for that. And you can pretty much get the same thing, just be on top of Ubuntu instead. Mm -hmm. But I also think your XFCE offering was also good because you could just leave it at the basic and it'd be very simple to use. And as they learned more, they could learn how to tweak it more. And once they got beyond XFCE, you could move them onto something else if they got a better machine. Those are all yeah, I think LXD is a, is a lot lighter, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I And I also think that LXD is one of those desktops that is was designed with the idea of low specifications in mind. I think a lot of the people that... Uh, that work on them, you know, they 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 tend to use older hardware. Yeah. So if, if there was a like an open box option, like uh, maybe a Debian based, like like Antix is the has De has open box as an option, you could use that. So I think that the the suggestion that Zeb had is pretty good for that. So if they wanted like the absolute minimum, like open box is incredibly small. Next question is hello. Um, I've heard you guys talk a lot about KDE. I've never heard it on on specifics of exactly how you guys use it. I'm a longtime XMonad user who started using KDE Plasma on one of my machines, and I'm having a little trouble developing a mental mode on how to best use KDE specifically to manage apps and Windows. I'm so used to XMonad and i3 desktops, 
using Windows and Mode through Backspace to be able to toggle between them. I'd love to hear how you guys manage desktops, activities, keep things organized, and uh, what keyboard shortcuts you guys used. Um, and then he lists a couple of minor issues he's had, uh, getting applications to open on the screen that, that he's actually looking at, getting apps to stick to the right activities menu when they restart when he restarts the machine, having multiple windows open in one desktop and wanting to switch between them. Um, so I thought that was an interesting question for us to kick around. I guess uh, maybe we'll start with Michael since he's the resident KDE guy. Yeah, that's a fair, fair assessment. Uh, I think it's a weird situation because like going from a tiling, like a tiling manager, manager that's the only thing they're doing. It, it doesn't make any sense to go to a DE at that point because you're because most DEs are floating based anyway. So you would have to be kind of adjusting your workflow heavily. So I think that was kind of like a like a weird <clears throat> approach. But I do think that the reason why I use Plasma because it has tiling functionality. And with the KWIN window rules, you can accomplish the same amount of tiling that you can with with uh, just basic tiling window manager. So Xmonad, you could basically re-engineer Plasma to work like Xmonad if you wanted to. I would also say that the just adding on to your KDE window rules that you would it would also allow you to that would also fix this problem of well they're not showing up at the on the right on the right window or the right thing when he's yeah. restarting like Telegram I have KDE window rules set up so Telegram always opens to a compact window to the very far right of my display and then all other windows that I open when they're quote unquote maximized it always lets Telegram uh, visible on the far right almost like mm -hmm. Telegram is a dock of sorts. Yeah, you can do that. I, I I love the the fact that you can do that, but you can also be more even specific. You can say, I only want this to be this particular application to load on this particular uh, this monitor, this desktop, this location, this size. You could even change like whether it has window decorations or like change the opacity by default and all kinds of stuff. So you can basically set it up however you want it to be. Like the the, the reason why tiling window managers like Xmonad and i three are great is because they kind of do it for you. They will just put it, position it however they, that does, like it's the flow is meant to be as a tiling. Whereas Plasma is that you have to know where you want it to put it. But if you do, then it'll do everything exactly like you want it. And it will remember every single time you open the application. Ryan, I don't know much about your experience with KDE. Are you much of a KDE guy? I, I, I'm, it's growing on me because Michael won't stop talking about it. But um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a very good desktop environment, but I really don't think you're going to, if you're looking for that tiling experience, Michael's been saying this for years to me, all those features you talk about in i3 or in KDE, they, they are, but it's much more difficult to get to them. It's, it takes far longer, in my opinion, to configure KDE that way. You have to do it over time. Whereas i3, once you learn that configuration file, in about 10 minutes after a new install, I can have everything set up the way I want. I Michael, maybe, because he's so experienced in KDE, could do that. I don't think you're going to get that same tiling experience. You can mimic it in KDE, and it's amazing that you can do that with it, but you're not going to get that same experience. Zeb, how about you? Are you much of a KDE guy? Um, I've had a look at it, and I really liked the Kubuntu 18.04. But thankfully, my workflow is very, very basic. I'll have at most four, maybe five items open on the desk. So with my two monitors, I don't even need to use virtual desktops. Um, so let's say I'll open up OBS, I'll open up Steam, I'll open up a game. I'll move the windows where I want to, and it takes me maybe two minutes. So to be able to go click, click, you know, push, you know, F7, Control KZ, or whatever else you do with i3, I, I just can't be bothered to learn all that. I'll move the window where I want it and then let it go. Job done. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I guess if I had a dynamic workflow, like if I was changing stuff all the time, I, that would work for me. The thing is, I, uh, I find myself, I'm always in Telegram because I'm always communicating, whether it's for work, for the show, just hanging out with you know Linux geeks and, and chatting about Linux and technical stuff. I'm always in Telegram doing that. If I'm working, chances are I'm doing my work either through a web browser, through a web config of sorts, or through the terminal. So my terminal is dropping down because I'm using Yawake or Yawake or however you pronounce it. And uh, my web browser is maximized of the screen real estate that isn't Telegram, and then Telegram's off to the right. And that's those are really the only three applications. Oh, an email, I guess. Um, but those are really the only three applications I use. And so I'm able to accomplish all of that with, with KDE window rules. And then I know, like, I kind of, it's almost like having multiple displays, I guess is kind of a way to look at it. Because I allocate up my 13-inch 1080p display as if I had three different displays. One tiny little short one on the side that I use for Telegram, and then one big one, and then one that, you know, I pull down and push up as I need it, which is my terminal. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the idea of having. I, I think there's the argument is that um, I don't really like um, the ability to do the tiling like automatic. I like the control. Like the the idea of the tiling window manager is that it just does the tiling and you can easily move it wherever you want, but you're still going to have to move it and adjust every single time something is because of the dynamic function of it, which is nice in some ways, but I would prefer to have the the applications exactly where I want them, the size, the position, everything. And the fact that you can do tiling, you know, we're basically the biggest benefit of tiling is that you can disable the d- decorations of a window so you can have as much space as possible. But in Plasma, you can also do the same thing. So I can have all the benefits of it, but I can also have the additional control of exactly where I want it to be. So I have, you know, I have I have multiple monitors, but my approach is that every single desktop, virtual desktop that I have is positioned in a, like a certain workflow specific, uh, like communication, like IRC, mumble, things like that are on one de- desktop. And then I have like all my editing and my graphics on, on different desktops. So I can actually guarantee that my stuff will be always, always on a certain section. Uh, Eric, the IT guy, you had some thoughts on Plasma as well. Yeah, I've uh, granted I'm I've been trying off of an XPS 12, which is basically Dell's uh, competition for the uh, Surface. So it's it's a 12 inch screen, it's 4K, and battery doesn't perform all that great. Um, so I mean, one of the first things that would be nice is if I could set a rule that uh, if I'm on battery, be 1080p, but if I'm on if I'm on power, then then 4K. But my my experience with with plasma ha- was was nice. Um, I liked it, um, but it's just not quite there on on a lot of the devices that I'm on. the The 4K support was, was I had to fight with it to to get the scaling close to what I felt like it should be. Um, but the biggest thing is I've I've actually started using the touchscreen of my uh, of my XPS 12 quite a bit I mean even just for basic web navigation so going going to plasma on on my XPS 12 didn't really render much of a of a useful touch touch interface hmm. what would you say is the best ex- best experience you've had for the, the 4k on that laptop um, this has only seen uh, plasma and gnome under fedora so I, I haven't really tested it out as much as I'd like to Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for sharing. I appreciate it. I just shut my web browser. Uh, thanks for sharing. So there was an article that came out today that um, kind of piqued my interest. It uh, Fedora is celebrating 15 years. Now, I am a huge Fedora fan, have been a huge Red Hat fan. I've used every version of Fedora since version one. Um, and uh, there is, uh, we got a Fedora question and a Fedora upgrade question. I want to get to that in a little bit. I'm interested if, you know, who the Fedora expert among the four of us is. Maybe it's me, but uh, maybe somebody, one of the other four of us have some experience. Architect, you had some thoughts. I'm sorry, some thoughts on Fedora? I, I don't know. I just, you pinged me in the chat room, so I, I, and I realized I had, I had not gotten to you. Oh, well, I mean, most of uh, my thoughts have been around uh, the Thelio that System76 has unveiled recently and uh, open computing, like the uh, the open source desktop claims. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a second. So uh, for those of you who aren't aware, System76 is moving down a focus path of they are going to try to make open hardware. They're going to build that inside of the U.S. and they're going to deliver it to you, the Linux customer, from a group of people that really care and understand open source and Linux. And I can tell you, having been there myself, that it's not, they walk the talk, or they walk the walk, they don't just talk the talk. These people really care about open source, they really care about Linux, and uh, they put their money where their mouth is. So when System76 makes an announcement like this, when they make a promise, when they make a commitment, when they go down a path like this, I take it very seriously. At the same time, I own a small business, so I understand the hurdles that they are up against, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Architect. What are your thoughts on this decision from... System76, and they're all open hardware-based, which they're calling Project Delio. Well, the idea is beautiful. We need more stuff like that in the world. Um, my my issue with it is that when Thelio dropped, it was basically an open source hardware case, uh, still using AMD and uh, Intel processors, although it is nice that they finally have AMD options. I mean, it's better than the uh, 
NVIDIA stuff that just absolutely trashes your choice of operating system that you can use. Um, but none of it is open. Um, it's slightly more open than, say, buying from Dell or from HP. But the open hardware computer and open hardware desktop is available today and could have been Thelio too. Um, with the likes of Sci-5 and Raptor CS and their uh, Talos and Hi5 Unleashed options, respectively. Um, I mean, those are aren't those limited in hardware though, and limited in like functionality. No more so than any normal computer. I mean, the uh, the biggest issue right now is just getting things properly optimized for Power9 and RISC-V. Uh, they can both run full Debian. They are both capable of virtualization, all your usual desktop workloads. Um, the risk there, there is going is... to be some binary blob issues then, because there's going to be some things that, that they're like looking to support that they can't support because of the RISC-V architecture not supporting it yet. For your GPU, maybe but not for actually booting the CPU, which is an absolute necessity on both Intel and AMD boards and even some ARM boards. Power9 is capable of driving the full desktop experience completely blobless. Um, I, I think the, I, I appreciate what System76 is trying to do because they're trying to do a gradual stance. of They're trying to do the open source thing, but they're not going for the like outright right now, this is completely open, regardless of how many negatives come from that. And I don't think so they I think, can. I don't think that's practical. Right, because they're, like, they're, they're doing the daughterboard versus motherboard thing, so, they, so there are the pieces that are not, uh, that are not uh, open are being removed from the main motherboard so that you can do, you can have it, you can use just the open source stuff if you want to, but also have the additional benefit of the proprietary stuff if you do want, if you wanted to use those as well. So it's it's a nice stage, like gradual stage process. I, I would like to get System76 on here. I've, I'm sorry, go ahead, Red. Um, that's actually completely possible, but the uh, the messaging around this was to bring open source computing further than it has ever been. This is in no way meeting that claim. They have been beaten to the punch in literally every arena in which their marketing material has... But you're arguing oh. that the fact that the Risk Five and the other things are beating them to the punch, but they also those particular architectures can't do a lot of things that this one can. So are, is it really beating them to the punch? That AMD sixty four can. There is no limitation other than getting your compiler to build properly optimized binaries. So things are a bit slower, but I mean, IBM's been working with NVIDIA for ages now on their power architecture for NVLink stuff and mm -hmm. uh, AMD's got the open source stack. So, I mean, it, it is possible to have a completely open source hardware and software desktop today. Yeah, I, 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 I guess here's, and Eric says this in the chat room, kind of sums up my thoughts on it, is I think we need to give credit where credit's due and I think that we need to, maybe we take this and we iterate on it, but I think the other companies that have done similar things, I question if they have the market presence uh, that System76 has. And so if this will not make a bigger deal, even if it's not fair, if it will make a, be a bigger deal because a company like System76 is doing it. Hey, guys, are you cool taking a phone call that we haven't screened? We have no idea what they're going to ask, and they might stump us and make us all look I'm like a excited. bunch of idiots? Let's Bring it. it. Seven or uh, one eight fifty five four fifty no eight five five four five zero six six two four. You're on stumped Linux chumps. What's on your mind? Hey, so uh, I manage a, a team of about nine system and, and network administrators, and uh, I'm, one of my goals has been to replace as many Windows systems in our, our data center as possible with Linux systems. And we're up to about thirty five uh, Ubuntu and, and CentOS boxes. It's kind of a mix. Um, but one thing I'm struggling right, with right now is authentication. So because, I guess, historically we've been a Windows shop, actually we're a school district, so we have a ton of Windows workstations and clients, lots of proprietary software. We're slowly getting away from Windows on the desktop, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime super soon. Maybe within five years we can, we can get there. I'm working on it slowly. But uh, in the meantime, our AD infrastructure isn't going away. So 
currently with all of our, our Linux VMs, we've got uh, just a single username and password that's shared by our team of, well, I guess it's one team of five and another team of four that, that do various things. I'd like to integrate them and join them to AD, and I would like to issue YubiKeys to all of uh, my team members. Does anyone know of a good way to, to manage that, manage the SSH key portion when you're using Active Directory authentication on Linux? How about, uh, how about you guys? I don't want to step on anybody. Anybody else have some ideas? I've got some ideas I'll share. I'd say go, go ahead and do that. Go for it, because I'm stumped, yeah. Um, so I would break this problem up into to a to a couple. I would I would combine a couple of different technologies to form a singular solution. So obviously, there is not going to be a lot of development in building a solution that ties to Active Directory with SSH because the people that are running Active Directory don't really use SSH, right? They're two. I mean, they're 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 two different technologies for two different platforms, but. Uh, what you can do is you could use a central directory service that is capable of authenticating into Windows but has the ability to tie into other services. And what I'm referring to, of course, is the Free IPA project. And so I'm not sure. Have you heard of Free IPA? I've heard of it. Um, haven't looked into it too much. So essentially, what Free IPA is is a it, it is a drop-in replacement for Active Directory. It's a combination of Kerberos. And, uh, and and DNS. And so essentially, which is essentially really what um, what Active Directory is, is essentially a, a component of um, a mixture of LDAP to, to handle the directory structure. And then obviously that ties into all the group policy and stuff like that. So Kerberos will allow you to do the authentication and set up all of the policies and identities and stuff like that. Now, where I say it, why I think this might work very well for your particular question is because not only will it tie into Microsoft Active Directory, but it also is specifically designed to work natively on Linux. And they have um, tie-ins to all of the Linux subs not I shouldn't say all, but many of the Linux subsystems. And so I'll bet you, and I can't say this definitively because I've not actually tried it, but I will bet you there is a way to tie a SSH key into assign an SSH, a given SSH key to a given identity. And of course, YubiKey will take you the rest of the way there because you would essentially assign a YubiKey to a user. You would put that YubiKey's SSH public key into, into their user in the free IPA directory system. And then from there on out, that user is tied to that YubiKey. You ever fire that, that user, you simply go ask them for the YubiKey back pull that public key and put it into whoever the next guy you hire and Bob's your uncle, you're, you're in business. Okay, that sounds like it should work pretty well. Do you notice Free IPA have the ability to, I guess, proxy authentication to Active Directory, or would it need to be a complete replacement? I believe it does. I'm just looking here under their documentation. I believe it does have the ability to integrate in with uh, Active Directory, and the reason I say that is because when they first were coming up with this, they were they were going into existing Windows environments, and I strongly suspect that they're yeah, I, they don't specify on their site, but I, I, I can I know the lead developer. I can poke him and find out for you. But I, I strongly suspect that they're not going to walk into businesses and say, "Hey, we're going to take all of your stuff out of production and we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna give you we're gonna replace it with this thing." Um, I I I strongly guess that they they probably have a a, a better way around that. Okay, uh, appreciate your help, guys. Yeah. Thanks for the call. 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. So our next question is uh, regarding Fedora. It says, love the show. Have a question for you guys in the management of Fedora updates. I've been using Fedora 28 for some time and have grown to really appreciate it. I tried upgrading to Fedora 29 on the stable release, and although it worked, there were some things that were off in software updates that would appear to freeze during the reboot process showing 97% and then halting for hours. This happened on a new install also. I know this will be fixed in some time, but as a newcomer and remembering it was a favorite of yours for some time, I was hoping that you could give me some advice and a rough estimate on how long I should wait between upgrades or whether or not it would work by simply upgrading or starting fresh each time. Uh, and then he goes on to say that he's tried Clonezilla, a couple of other things. So Zeb, uh, I'll start with you. What is your interest or experience with Fedora? Have you... Have you used it? And if so, have you had an easy time upgrading? 
Um, well, I'm one of those people who uh, doesn't go the upgrade route. I've been using Fedora on and off since 26. Um, and I tend to install brand new when uh, a distro comes along. Again, purely because I have a very simplistic um, use, you know, a use requirement. I've just got maybe half a dozen apps that I need to get working. So I'm not worried about getting my 32 applications set up with all their configuration files mm. and complicated setup. So I've never gone down um, the upgrade route, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's, I guess, kind of been my my way as a, as a, as a Fedora user of everything since Fedora 1. I don't know that I've done a lot of upgrades. I usually embrace the opportunity to nuke and pave my system. I can clear it all of the junk and get back to all of the stuff I was testing and, and get rid of all that and go back to the stuff I, I want to use. Michael, uh, I would guess that you're not much of a Fedora guy. Um, I'm a Fedora KDE guy. Uh, Are you really? But as far, yeah, I mean, I, I like Fedora KDE, but I, I don't, I, it's not my main distro, but I have used it many times and I've done some upgrades and um, starting from, 27 so 27 28 the upgrade were good uh, but i haven't actually done the 28 to 29 yet so i don't know for that one but uh there there used to be a problem that i experienced like almost every time for the first uh like probably from 20 to 26 like there were some issues of upgrading i had to like compensate for but 26 27 was was uh and 26 27 27 28 were fine ryan have you done much with uh, fedora I have. I actually am more of a recent convert to Fedora. I like Fedora a lot. I started on Fedora 28. I had tried to use it early about two years ago. I've only been in Linux for two years. Tried to use it two years ago and had NVIDIA and just didn't have enough knowledge back then to kind of work around some of the issues there. But I am using it now and I did upgrade from 28 to 29. My experience with Fedora is it's generally better to upgrade via the command line versus trying to do it through the GUI. I tend to have issues with the upgrades with the GUI, plus at times it does that kind of reboot into the screen where it gives you the percent counter and everything else that goes on that I'm not a huge fan of personally. I just love to do all the updates via the command line and things run very smooth. I, I have to. Now, now uh, chat room points out that Chris has has had experience a pleasant experience i might add upgrading and has has gone that route and so i believe if i remember right he has a fedora server that he's been using and right. playing with for a while and uh, he's not had any issues continuing to upgrade so uh, my advice to you sir is i would say yes go ahead and do uh, the upgrades but back up <laughs> first and foremost which you should always be doing and uh and 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 understand that as a fedora user I really embrace the opportunity to kind of just nuke and pave. That's that's kind of what I do. I I mean, am I am I weird on that? Is there a, just aside from the Fedora question? Do the three of you? Do you guys? Do you always upgrade your system, or are you in a retentive? Like Zeb said that he, you know, he's he doesn't have any sacred uh, magic scripts or anything like that that he doesn't know how they got there, and so he's afraid to blow them away. You know, he just kind of rebuilds a system. How about the rest of you guys? What what are you doing? Well, it depends uh, on the system. Basically, if it's something I've used, like the, the primary, that one I will take a lot longer to upgrade. Uh, right now, I'm actually been on KDE Neon, still on 16.04. I haven't done the upgrade yet because uh, I still get the security updates from Ubuntu and all that. So I'm not going to get the next version of Plasma, but uh, I need to upgrade as soon as possible. But it's going to be, you know, it's a lot to do because I've had this for like two and a half years. So I have to, you know, the very first time that there's ever been an upgrade process for them, I'm a little wary about that, but overall, I think those, if you're if depending on what you're using, if you're using an Ubuntu flavor, like an official flavor, the upgrade processes are like almost guaranteed perfectly fine. Uh, you still should always have a backup and everything record before you do anything at all. Make a backup. Uh, but with that said, I think Ubuntu has the most seamless experience. But I also would like to say that Fedora is probably a different uh, audience. Like they're they're targeting different people. Then, because they're more of an enthusiast distro, mm -hmm. like for so they're not bleeding edge, but they're they're like um, cutting edge, I guess, where they're they're still doing a lot of stuff quickly, just not as quick as some some distros. So I think that they they are focusing more on the people who are enthusiasts. Nunix, you said you had some thoughts. Yeah. Um, now, disclaimer: I'm not much of a Fedora person, or even necessarily much of a Linux person. Um, but this is a perfect reason to break out your installation into as many separate file systems as makes sense. But 
at least have a separate home, um, maybe a separate boot. Um, that way, when you do upgrade, you don't have these sort of issues where you know you you're risking losing an awful lot of information because you have that separate file system that is left untouched during the process. Um, and that's worked out fantastically for me on my Dragonfly BSD, hardened BSD, um, FreeBSD systems where, I mean, I also have the benefit of boot environments with the, the file systems, but nothing has ever really made those a necessity either due to having everything separated out. Yeah, I, I I go back and forth with that, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, the thing is, the, I, I never can really plan on day one of my install of how much hard drive space I'm going to need down the road, right? So what I always end up doing is I end up partitioning my hard drive out that way, and then I realize, oh, actually, I've installed more programs than I've stored data, or I've installed more data than I install programs, and I didn't know either of those two things when I started. That's the kind of issue I run into. By the way, I see Brent is up in the uh, quiet listening. Brent, you're welcome to join us. We're having a discussion. And uh, if Chris rolls in here, or if you guys need your uh, your on-air channel back, I, I don't know how sh how early you guys start the, the, the pre-show for Linux Unplugged, but we can always jump down into the, the Ask Noah uh, show group and, and continue on. So just... Uh, just saying hi and uh, and understand that uh, we're trying to be cognizant of that i'm trying to keep half of an eye on that um don't see chris or uh, or wes in here yet so i'm guessing uh, i'm guessing they haven't started yet but but if that comes to it just let us know and we'll we'll jump down again you too can add your voice to the conversation one 855 450 that's 855-450-6624 the email live at com. join us in our interactive mumber room or our brand new spanky chat room and that is at shift three ask noah show <laughs> <laughs> free note i'm just gonna embrace that number yep, sign like i'm gonna i'm just gonna change it every time it's gonna be pound one time it's gonna be hashtag another time it's gonna be shift three it's i'm find out what it is zeb what is it on your keyboard you're from the you're from across the, the pond what do you have how do, how do you get a number sign uh, i get the number sign because it's the very first key next to the enter key on the right hand side of the keyboard you're talking about shift three that gives the uk pound sign so oh. you're going to get some interesting people joining from the uk i wonder if i say slack isn't the Slack logo a hashtag? I, I can maybe I can. Yeah, the Slack logo is also yeah. a hashtag. Yeah. Slack Ask Noah Show in Freenode. However, you want to get there, that's fine with <laughs> that me. Be confusing a little bit. Another user writes in, says, "Hey guys, love the show. I'm a I'm a Linux Mint user and have recently downloaded Lubuntu 18.10 to give it a try. It looks great and everything, and works well from the live disk, except one thing: the connect to server option in the go to menu in the file manager does not offer a window share option, which is what I need." In comparison, I tested the live disk of Linux Mint 19 and Ubuntu Mate 1804 for the same issue, and the Windows Share option is available in both. Do I need a to install Sambo or another utility to add the option in the file manager? I have faced this dilemma many times over uh, with a number of distros and would appreciate your help. So I guess uh, let's take this one to Ryan. You, uh, you're kind of a desktop Linux guy. I would imagine you've had some experience connecting to a couple Windows Shares back in your day. Yeah, I you know I I have nuked all Windows out of my life, so probably not the best. But back in the day when I did it, it seems like adding in the SMBFS and Samba was the way to get those shares working. But I may not have understood the question correctly, but that's the route I understood. Okay. Uh, yeah, and setting up Samba, and also there's some um, in order to have Samba working with some certain file systems that you want to have it work through, uh, you might have to install some Fuse packages like NTFS Fuse and stuff like that. That's uh, that's been my experience. I have, I guess, I'm kind of surprised. You know, here's the thing: we uh, I can't I can't give him too much crap because he's not here to defend himself. But you know, the release manager for Lubuntu, uh, I kind of have my thumb over him because he works for me. So uh, I might go put some pressure on him, go over and lean on his desk and say, hey, buddy, if Samba is included in the next release of Lubuntu, someone's going to get uh, someone's getting a pink slip. <laughs> I wonder how well that would go over. But yeah, that's that would be that would be my suggestion is, is check out to see if the if the Samba package is installed there. And then I, I would also ask, I mean, is Lubuntu really the best dist is Lubuntu really a good distro choice? Um, it depends. The 1804 one is a solid option because it's like the LTS version, but the 1810 might not be because the LXQ is in the like the very early stages of the transition. So while it's a very good implementation of LXQ, probably one of the better ones, 
it's still in like a development period and a transition phase. So there's going to be bugs. So if you want like a completely seamless experience, it might not be the best choice for that. I, I mean, I, there's there's a part of me that wants to say, much as I love Simon, much as I love Lubuntu, that I'm not sure that's that's the distro I would start with. Um, it's a pared down distro, so it, by the very nature of it being lightweight and pared down, it obviously doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles, and which means it doesn't hold your hand very much. It means you kind of have to know what you want to get out of it. Yeah, if you're talking about the absolute, like, the first time you ever use Linux in that situation, I would say probably Kubuntu 18.04, 18.10 is a, is a great option. You could also say that once you, like, the, the reason why I'm saying that is because, well, Ubuntu with GNOME is a good option, too, if someone doesn't want anything that looks remotely like what they're used to if they're a Windows user. But with Kubuntu, you get the the experience of you know, familiarity with using the, the Windows layout and the traditional like paradigm, as well as some of the functionality of Kubuntu is is kind of like set for them. But if they want something that's very different, then Ubuntu GNOME was a good option there too. I just think the rest of them have things where you have to change a significant amount so that if you're not prepared for that, that might be a, you know, like a barrier for them. You know, coming from Mint, though, that's kind of a strange jump going from Mint. I don't know the desktop they chose there, but let's assume it's Cinnamon all the way to Lubuntu. It's a very different experience. It's a nose point. Maybe something more like an Ubuntu Mate would be a better choice there. And with the Ubuntu Mate welcome screen, and, and again, like Ubuntu Mate does a couple of those rough edges, they take them off, right? So, for example, sure. it's not going to come with an application that will launch an application when you hit the super key, which a lot of people I think are becoming accustomed, both Spotlight on the Mac, the Windows 10 interface, of course, GNOME, KDE, all of these, that's how you're launching these applications. Back in the Unity days, that's what you were doing. And um, But Ubuntu Mate, Wimpy, takes the time to install the application that you need to make that functionality work. And so those are that, that's what I mean. I think there's a lot of polish in some of these other distributions that are very friendly to newbies. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think, I mean, especially it, it depends on like right now, like I think Lubuntu will be a great option when the next LTS comes around with the 2004 because it'll have LXQt and they'll have a plenty of time to actually make that a, a polished offering. But I think right now, since they're early in the, that stage and LXDE itself is very like bare bones type uh, approach, I think that it's a good point to say that Lubuntu might not be the best option for this right now. And uh, Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Budgie, Kubuntu, and uh, maybe even Zubuntu, because they have a lot of modifications that improve XFCE, could be good, good options for them. I also see that uh, CM is uh, is looking for attention by posting hash, literally hashes, inside of the chat room. Uh, CM, am I allowed to share your your your? I'm going to go ahead and call. I'm going to say it. Your journey with Linux and wh and where your destination of Linux was. I'm stealing yeah, a little yeah. bit of branding there. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Well, I, I, I'm fir I first encountered Linux by choosing a live CD, with, which is Knopix. I don't know it's 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 alive anymore. I don't know. But uh, from there, I went to, to Fedora Core 1, and I'm on Fedora ever since. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, we got it. And, uh, oh, go ahead. And, uh, and it, it, it has a nice epilogue right now because after 15 years being a Linux enthusiast, I have a Linux job now. Oh, fantastic. Nice. That's fantastic. Congratulations. What you, yeah, what do you do on Linux? Uh, well, I am a general sysadmin and network guy. I like it. I like it. Good for you, man. You're, you're knocking it out. I, I love that. Um, this is not a question, but people are writing in, so I'm going to read it because it's very uh, it's uh, very complimentary. It says, I enjoyed episode 92, and I also enjoy the recent couple episodes of Destination Linux and you as a guest host of the podcast. I like both the dial-in and the special formats. I hope that UbiPorts, I hope that UbiPorts to a wide variety of devices, including mid-range phones, I run Linux on older machines. Now that is two and 64-bit tablets are a few years along. I hope to pick up a used one on eBay and make a proper Linux tablet out of it. Everybody is great except for Michael. Keep up the good work. Wow. I love okay, that. I might that have, is the best note ever. I may have made up that last part, but he does say keep up the, the good work. <laughs> yeah, That's a fantastic. The, the, yeah, the Ryan syndrome must be catching because Ryan keeps adding his name to emails. That's not, That's false news. Fake news. Fake news, everyone. That's the hashtag fake news. 
Pound sign fake news. Shift three. Oh, by the way. Slack crunch. logo. Uh, you know what I learned? So I learned this in the chat room while I was on air. So TIL. It, when they said the British pound, I didn't realize that they meant like the British pound is in like the mon money. money symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that, that that's not going to work. We can't do that because I don't think you'll get there inside of the IRC if you British pound, ask Noah show. It has to be American pound, ask Noah show. Hashtag ask Noah show. Number sign, ask Noah show. Shift three, ask Noah show if you're in the U.S. Or Slack, ask Noah show. One of those. Just make a list and go through them all. Say again. Somebody asked something. Sorry, it's it's confusing having to weigh money like that in pounds. <laughs> I don't think that's what that means. <laughs> uh, here's a so here's another. Oh my goodness, uh, people are sending in questions right and left. And while I appreciate it, um, y'all remember I have to read these on the air. <clears throat> so this comes to us from New Zealand. Uh, quick request. I'm a huge fan of owning technology. I'm active in amateur radio, and I'm a robotics mentor. Given all the news lately about social media platforms, delisting accounts, and their sole discretion, I'm interested in a Linux FOSS decentralized alternative to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Apple, or Microsoft. As a libertarian, I worry about censorship and restrictions on freedoms of speech, assembly, and associations. I'm also... Uh, I, I'm also worried about a not-so-distant future where ISPs and payment processors won't or accept certain payments from certain companies that run outside of mainstream. Now there is time to building a population on our new format run by the people for the people, unstoppable. Uh, so what are your thoughts, guys? Decentralized platforms for payments, decentralized platforms for communication, all those kinds of things. I think decentralized is, um, is, a, is a great and noble goal that also has its own flaws that make it not practical. So like if you say, for example, Mastodon, you know, Mastodon's fantastic, especially the Linux rocks.online instance. Uh, that's a good option. However, there are also about 500 other instances that are not all interconnected. And even when they are interconnected, you kind of don't know where they're coming from or which handle and which instance some one of the particular handles that you're talking to is on. So you could be you know, is messaging someone who that you think is the right person, but they're different because they're on a different instance. So each each platform has their own uh, negative because, like, while the federation aspects is cool, it kind of makes stuff complicated for a large majority of people. Yeah, this is a really difficult question because Mastodon, I think, is probably one of the best examples when he asked for a replacement for Twitter, but. You know, and I think it does a good job, but you, you're also going to have to get your friends and other people to go over there. The Linux community supports Mastodon pretty pretty well in mass, so I think it's a good alternative. When you're looking at an alternative to YouTube is where you start really becoming an issue. Everybody wants an alternative to YouTube, but it's just become such a foundation that it's almost impossible to replace. There are alternatives we've all looked into, like PeerTube and other things that use peer-to-peer -peer bit torrenting and things like that attempt to decentralize, but ultimately if nobody's there to watch your videos when you upload to those places then right. what's the point so where, that, where are that's the, the most difficult thing exactly yeah yeah so charlie brown and i and i have to say this just because i just have to say this man uh you have been extraordinarily vocal and when i say extraordinarily vocal i mean a comment on literally every video i think we've ever posted on every platform we've ever posted it on so it comes as no surprise that you have something to add to this conversation G'day, thanks. Yeah, um, Australia and New Zealand are losing their democracy values like free speech. And it's getting very popular in both countries, along with the UK, to find platforms that you can openly talk about stuff without getting censored. So I do have a list of um, options for everyone to check out. Uh, for email, I recommend ProtonMail or Tunala, I think is how you say uh, Facebook alternative is Minds and Me Too. Uh, Twitter alternative is Gab AI, and they've just gone through some dramas getting deplatformed in the last week, but they are back up on on the internet. Uh, BitChute is my recommendation for a YouTube alt. Uh, Wire is my recommendation for a Skype alt, and PeerTube is a good solution to self-host your stuff if you. Um, want to go down that route as well along with using OpenStreetMap instead of google's maps search x me or DuckDuckGo instead of google search and i personally 
um, would recommend F-Droid over the Android Google Store as well. Now, the, the, with the Gab uh, thing, let's dive into that for just a second. If, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, again, definitely losing our democracy here. Like, I'm you know, living in New Zealand. Like, I'm from, you know, I was born here. And uh, and now they're doing device searches at customs, yes. which is something they didn't do five years ago. Right, yeah. Yep, that's also passed in um, Queensland, and there's news that now they've got some sort of surveillance system in New South Wales, which is in Australia, that it links up to your um, motor identity, um, your, like, your driver's license, and the cameras will monitor everything you do back to your driver's license. So quick reset. For, 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 for quick reset. Re, re, hold on, hold on. Real, just real quickly. I just want to reset this conversation before we go on. So what these guys are referring to, it's a really important piece of, le piece of legislation that has passed in other countries. They're nicknaming it somewhat somewhat comically the electronic strip search and the idea is that they can find you excessively or retain possession of your device if you don't permit the government to decrypt these devices at the border and so that's what they're talking about i just want to make that clear before we go on that's that's what you're referring to guy from new zealand yes okay so now you can go to your point too. yeah well there's a couple of countries that have done that so now, think, now you can continue the discussion. I, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Departments and spying agencies, they're all trying to tie back into the guise of like anti-terrorism, but they're piggybacking off the um, terrorism system, I think it is. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, I want prison, you mean. Yeah, sorry, prison. prison. Yes. Yeah, the government program started in the U.S. that was leaked by Edward Snowden. So um, I want to dig into that Gab AI thing for, for just a second if we can. Jarley, you've probably been following this a little bit more than I have. Have they weathered the storm? Have they come out on the other side as the uh, as a platform that says, um, hey, we're, we're not shutting down and we're not going to censor our content? Yeah, so what happened uh, last week is they got deplatformed as fast as... Um, what happened to Alex Jones and several other people, like literally all, all in one day, they just got, um, deplatformed by, hang on, I've got a list. Um, so they got removed from Pusher, which was an API, um, company, Medium, Shopify, GoDaddy, um, PayPal. The, the, the specifics probably aren't, in, but, the, but the point is that they've weathered the storm. They've come out on the other yeah, side. Yeah, of the, yeah. yeah, so they found other solutions. There was one ISP that came out and said, yes, we're going to support actual free speech for everyone. Um, and, and they went on the record on their blog of saying, we're supporting Gab. Sure. So they found another that. And they said, um, even if we have to reinvent from the bare bone scratch, like every every technology we need we are they recently got four million dollars in in sure. crowdfunding and like raising so they've got the money that's great and i'm now, glad and i'm glad they were able yeah, to i'm glad they were able to move through and, and it's not it's not that i don't want to have the discussion about you know the free speech and the platform and all of that i think that's great i do think that free speech is important i think that having platforms to have free speech are important um but i i don't want to get too bogged down in the in the social parts of this if only because right here in the U.S. we're in the middle of elections and tensions are hot and tonight especially there's there's a lot of people that are looking for an excuse to get upset about something. Um, and, and the other thing is that we've got another question that came in. How it's, dare you? It says, good afternoon all. I managed to add a couple hard drives in my elementary desktop uh, a few days ago and first mounting the drives in the file manager, then editing FS tab. Now the drives auto mount. I'd like to do the same in an MX-17 desktop, but those drives don't even show up in the file manager. How do I mount those drives so FSTAB can be edited? Not a stumper for you, but I'm super deep enough into Linux and I don't have those yet. Well, I have to tell you, that is the sort of hard-hitting critical question we're looking for here on the Ask Noah Show Stump the Chumps episode. Um, so let's start with this. Uh, why do you think those drives aren't showing up in the, uh, in the, in the file manager? Uh, I guess we'll start with, uh, let's go to Ryan. You know, I'm a little stumped on that because if you're, if he's editing that, I mean, I don't see why you couldn't do the exact same thing in MX-17, which as a, if I'm not mistaken, defaults to XFCE, correct? Yep. Yes. How so I'm not sure why they wouldn't show up there the same as they would any other, what might be missing there. Maybe Michael knows. Um, I don't know, but there's a, there's another benefit of, I don't know why that this particular issue is happening, but the, 
there's always an extra like the the open source community is all about you know helping each other and things like that so even though we might not have the answer we do know one of the people who works at mx and we can get the answer for you look at that that's community working at its full potential so what we'll do is um, we'll go may ahead i jump in here yeah please oh, i'm sorry zeb yeah go ahead um i had these kind of problems when uh, editing f-stop it depends on the file system and the device you want to plug because mm. in f-stop the protocols have changed and so i had an f-stop entry and all of a sudden after an upgrade i was no longer able to connect uh, to that one and that was because ubuntu changed the protocol and i had to use uh an old protocol in fact to i have to change i had to change the line in fact then it worked it also depends if it's like an ntfs or not because if you don't have the the fuse packages and things like that to make it work it wouldn't be able to mount them anyway yeah well, but the thing they is, should be installed by default right yeah not, they are. not usually just, but yeah no makes, in, yeah. in mx17 i've got probably seven or eight external usb drives and they're all ntfs from my old windows days um there is actually an inbuilt debian gui manager that you can use um, and sometimes it gets confused with the known disks it's called disk manager and if you open up disk manager you can implicitly tell it whether you want it to um you know connect when you first boot you can also tell it to use the ntfs driver rather than leaving it on auto so once he's got it set up and working correctly in there he should then be able to go and have a look at fs tab and see what it's done that is also what the chat room is echoing so i would i i would advise you to check uh, to look into what uh, file system you're having of course the other thing you could do and i mean nobody's going to like this answer but it's what i would do from a troubleshooting perspective get the drives connected however you have to get the drives connected get the data off of them and try and format from scratch and see if those drives show up inside of the inside of your next distro and like i said you know it's not not a great answer but it's a troubleshooting step hey with just a couple minutes left uh, uh, go ahead uh, i was just going to say before you have to go through trying to reformat uh just pop open a terminal and see if they have entries using the command lsblk yeah um that'll list your block devices and give you all the information you need to get fs tab entries well created. yeah but if they're not showing up in the file manager it seems like they may not be mounting though right well that doesn't matter if they're if the block device is visible to the system then you can use a command like fs type to determine if the file system type is even known. Um, but I mean, it's possible they're not even formatted. Um, and you can get whatever information is available by using lsblk or uh, blkid to get that block device info and create Relevant I just I, I, I just question why you know it, you know obviously the LS block will show you a device that's physically connected to the motherboard but it doesn't really know anything about the device other than well it'll tell you the capacity of the, the device but if the device was mountable it's strange that the file manager wouldn't show them up or or that another utility like you know GNOME disk utility or something yeah one of the whatever the default disk utility is in 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 MX17 you know wouldn't have wouldn't see those drives you wouldn't be able to mount them. Yeah, especially since the other distro they said did support it. With just a couple well, minutes back, with just a couple minutes left, I just want to wrap up real quick. Michael, where can people find you throughout the week? Uh, you can find us, find me at tuxdigital.com as well as destinationlinux.org. And uh, Zeb? Yep, same thing. You can find me in the Telegram group of destinationlinux.org. And how about Ryan? DustGeekCommunity.com or the DustGeek YouTube channel or Destination Linux. Hey, guys, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on, on the first Stump the Chumps. We'll have to do it again sometime. Let's yeah, do absolutely. it. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. All right, real quickly, coming up right now, Linux Unplugged, 6 p.m. tonight. Ask Noah Show with Eric Dubois from Arco Linux. Election coverage, 8 p.m., electioncoverage.vote. And finally, the Ask Noah 100 episode, celebration uh, episode. That's tomorrow at 6 p.m. Central, Ask Noah Show. Dot com. We'd also invite you to come out and hang with us at the uh, at the event venue, which is at the Tamarack Tap Room in Woodbury, Minnesota. Make sure to download the latest episode at podcast.asknoahshow.com. We've got tons of new episodes out, tons of articles and materials that are referenced inside of the show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. The Ask Noah Show will continue 6 p.m. tonight, everybody. Huge thanks to Vox Telesis for providing our phone system better. Producer Sarah, our call screener. Head over to asknoahshow.com for content 24-7. We'll see you tonight.